Thank you so much, Lino, for joining us today. We're joined by Juno van Beek, who is an avid FDI leader and ESG enthusiast. She has done quite a lot of work in the sustainability culture at a giant company with over 16,000 colleagues globally, but also just doing so much transformational work as well within the world of DEI. Welcome and thank you for joining us. So how did you get involved with this body of work of DEI? Well, first of all, thank you for inviting me, Mandita. I'm really happy and excited to be here. I got involved in DEI through voicing my concerns and my opinions to, to leadership. You know, I just posed a big straightforward question in which I asked one of uh, our senior leaders, leaders at the time, why do you think there aren't as many women in leadership roles? And I think that just created an opportunity for me to, to get involved in that initiatives at work because that individual then realized that he acknowledged that it is something that the company has been trying to trying to change, you know, and these things it doesn't come about overnight. And then I was fortunate enough for this individual that then connected me to you. And yeah, the rest was so to speak history. And I mean we did some amazing work together where we could um not just say that this is something that's important for us and for those that's going to come after us. But we could actually see the impact that it was making, not just for us, but for our colleagues. I mean, you know, there was one initiative, uh, this, this previous organization that I, that I worked with, and they had realized it was the, not, not so to speak a problem, but there needed to be a cultural shift. And I think something that's really propelled or contributed to, to, to the, the landscape of DEI really being brought to the forefront um, for organizations was uh, that George Floyd, that unfortunate and tragic George Floyd incident, you know. So at least something positive came from that, I suppose. Yeah, I mean, we're going to just touch back on that COVID-19 pandemic fallout and the tragedies that happened, actually, you know, the same boat but different storm, mm. or the same, same, same storm but different boat narrative. Which we, talk, which we talked about, I think, during in the wake of George Floyd's murder. And talking on representation, because you've spoken briefly about representation and why is, I think a lot of people still struggle with understanding why representation is important, especially positive representation. Mm-hmm. Why is positive representation important for, let's say, someone coming into work, for someone who's just fresh out of work as a graduate or an intern, or for example, for someone who is in position of organization mm-hmm. structure. Why is representation important and why is it important particularly to you and how do you relate to that? Representation is important because whether we realize it or not, it is a motivator. So for someone, for example, you know, I'll take myself as a colored woman fresh out of university entering the, the workforce, especially in a corporate environment, a lot, the majority of those leadership roles in my experience were means. I didn't really have that representation from the get-go. I mean, at the time, yes, I had, I had a woman that was our manager when I, when I first started entering the, the, the employment market, but representation creates motivation and it makes you realize that, you know, what's possible for that person could be possible for me. And representation allows us to see that what we want and what we, what we struggle for ourselves shouldn't be limited, right? Mm-hmm. And recently, like, it was quite recently within, I think, the last week, or I'm not sure if it was this week, but 
at one of these award shows um, that had beautiful girls interviewing the, the stars in the red carpet and Issa Rae, who um, I'm sure you're watching the movie, yeah. Yeah. but he portrayed the role of the president in the movie and one of these little girls I was interviewing, the stars on the red carpet was a little black girl and he told Issa Rae that, wow, I was, I was just, you could just see her, her, her admiration and just, you know, something in her, in her eyes. And for that little girl, that representation means anything is possible for her. And so I think that instills in you just a motivation and a drive, you know, just that encouragement to, why can't I go for what I want? Yeah, like, I mean, nothing is stopping us from achieving our destiny, our strive for data, our strive for progress mm-hmm. the ladder, even uh, if we're in the corporate world or even just chasing a political career. You know, I think that's where the power of the business is, as you had a Quintus project, it just makes possibility reachable, mm-hmm. you know, um, and relatable. I mean, relatable. you know, like, yes. I need to say it's not far-fetched for me to be a manager, it's not far-fetched for me to be a people director, you know, or to even go and be a board member. Is not perfect, you know. Um, so I think now waking up into the wake of Black Lives Matter, which was in the mix as well during the heat of or during the wake of yeah. the pandemic, we struggled with narrative of unequal or inaccessible representation or inadequate representation because we found, I think, in the wake of during the midst of all of that, we I grew quite substantially. We saw a lot of adoptions of pages. A lot of companies made promises coming up with grandiose amounts of money, mm. saying I'm gonna pay so much money to this community that for you know, roll out our internship programs, do a lot of access opportunities to allow people of different communities to practice psychological safety. In that way, and looking now where we are today, would you say there's a disconnect or there's still a connection towards that, those aligned, those commitments that were made during the wake of that incident? I think for, for me, I think that the, I mean, there will always be a slight disconnect if people don't realize, they don't realize that as long as you employ people, you're going to have to have these uncomfortable discussions and maybe make difficult decisions because if you are employing you human beings, you know, you're going to be interacting with people from different backgrounds, people with different experiences, people of different ethnicities, genders, etc. For me, the reason why DEI is important, especially in the workplace, is because these issues are problems, but either they're not they don't exist because of the workplace. You know, they didn't result as as a byproduct of people going to work. No, it resulted because people are bringing those prejudices, those mindsets, those, you know, negativities within to the workplace. So it's a matter of whether you like it or not, your personal life and your personal experience and thoughts spilling over into the work environment. So for me, that gap will always be there if you, you know, so to speak, say, you just talk the talk, but you don't necessarily walk the walk, right? So I think that's why it's so important because if we can start at the workplace, the majority of people, we spend the majority of our time at work. If we can start making changes at work, it's just a matter of time before that those changes fall into the personal lives, right? People then start making changes in their own personal lives. Okay, maybe I won't 
approaches this social situation this way anymore, you know, or maybe, hey, why don't I have any black kids? You know, little things like that that can make a big impact down the line. So I think when it comes to GI, you know, the, that terminology is there because, because of corporate and work, but it's the everyday side that we should. Yeah, and I think you, you really touched on as well on doing or walking the walk. Mm. You know, you help leaders as well. Um, you know, our previous um, wealth joint project, I would call it <laughs> love project, yeah. of doing the walk in reality, mm-hmm. you know, doing the marathon, of, as, as leaders would call it, um, the marathon of inclusion. How do you feel that leaders are now better prepared or better prepared to integrate systems and do a lot of systematic work to eliminate barriers of inclusion, but also the same time tackle attitudes that people bring to the workplace? And how does that filter down into the people who's coming to the workplace? Um, how do you feel that relationship is connected or is that articulated for someone who wants to come into the world of work? I think what's important is, and I think that's where I've been quite fortunate in a sense that I've been fortunate enough to work, you know, in these large global corporations. But what's important for me is that I've seen and I've experienced firsthand how if it's not sincere coming from leadership, then it's it's going to be a redundant exercise. It's not going to have an impact. It's just going to be a tick box, you know, a pacifying exercise. But I've been fortunate enough to be in a position where I could see the sincerity flowing down from the top, basically, and then making an impact. And I say that because the leadership that I've had the fortune of interacting with, they realized why DEI was important. And it's not all go to work for, you know, a kumbaya moment, you all hold hands and you want to expand, you know, you go there to, uh, you know, to make a living, etc. But at the end of the day, you are interacting with people. You know, we're not robots, we have feelings, we have different experiences, we have thoughts. So once leadership really realizes that, if we can actually be sincere and really put in an effort with, with you know, our initiatives and making a, a change, I think that's going to positively impact not just the individual but the organization itself. Because I'm a firm believer that any organization that's serious about not just making a profit now, but you know, to be profitable in the long run, you know, longevity, sustainability, you're going to have to have DEI at the forefront of your objectives and priorities because um, you're going to lose talent if people don't feel psychologically safe at work. Right? If I knock on wood, you're not going to act for the down, I need to go get surgery done. I'm not going to say I only want, because I'm a colored woman, I'm all, I don't want, I only want a colored woman to operate on me. No, no, no. I'm going to want the qualified, you know, basically job they have a proven track record to be operating on me. Right? If that means that you are a sexual Asian man and so be it, you are going to operate with no one else. You know what I mean? So it's a matter of, in essence, leadership realizing if we are actually treating people fairly and giving those opportunities to people who actually deserve it mm-hmm. and not overlooking them just because, you know, of my prejudices or preconceived ideas, they don't want to access actually going to take us to the next level. I think by Getting that realization, if we don't invest in DEI, we're basically doing a disservice to our long term. It's always fascinating for me how 
countries, including people, the big differences can make, right? For example, Wendy Leon came out to the thing with her makeup line, right? It didn't um, like stir something up in me because celebrities were doing it all the time since today. But then you realize actually she's doing something different. And it's such a small thing that she was doing. But it was just mind-blowing, what was she doing? She was making shades of foundation for literally over 50 shades of foundation, which was unheard of for beauty house, I think, at that stage. And, you know, that conclusion, that thing, my makeup is not just for a certain... Demographic. Yeah. You know, it's for everyone. And that's, I think, the mindset that organizations need to have. We don't just want this type of person from this type of university with this type of degree or qualification. You know, mm-hmm. be diverse. Yeah. So we don't know where the next best idea will come from. Exactly. You know, at the same time. And I think touching on to beauty standards as well, I think we come now into a, into a world, slowly into a world where we are just being more positive, being more mm-hmm. mindful of difference and how different looks and different mm-hmm. types of beauty, celebrating the different types of beauty mm-hmm. that exist. What would you say to someone who feels that they are struggling with a conscious or subconscious level of talent where they feel that there have to be bullies in order for them to be seen as authoritative? You know, they have to be, I don't know, very stern and very authoritative in their, mm-hmm. in their, commanding in their, in their way of excluding people to gain power. A rivalry of leadership, different types of leadership styles. Mm-hmm. To, 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 to reference, I mean, there's a war going on DI, Elon Musk, and what's the billion dollar question? Why, why do you need to be DI? I mean, we've summarized yeah. you know, the longevity aspects of it. But I think you'll see the type of toxic trends coming out of that conversation where people, or when we're mostly men and white, white men, or white cisgender straight men, feel the need to perform a certain type of mm-hmm. bullying. You know, a certain type of behavior to assert dominance and to assert authoritativeness and seen as an archetype of leadership. Mm-hmm. What have you envisioned the transition of leadership in viewing different types of communities, different types of beauties to be celebrated mm-hmm. at different arms lengths? What would you say would be needed for such leaders who are modeling that behavior right now? Well, first of all, the first one that came to mind was intersection. <laughs> and also, Self-awareness and just holding yourself accountable. You know, where is that mindset or that attitude coming from? Mm. You know, you mentioned self-aid and that is most of the time, most often we are our own worst enemies. Doubting yourself, imposter syndrome, thinking I have to be a certain way, you know, mm. as you are authoritative. And I think that is such a dated and archaic way to look at being a people manager or in a role of authority, um, thinking like what I say goes my way or the highway. And I think that comes from just, you know, the, that that very dated way of looking at work, especially in the corporate environment. I think if we can have more people being open and willing to do some self-inflection introspection, it can make a world of difference because just teaching someone, whether it's a colleague, you know, a friend, a family, just teaching someone with consideration and kindness can make a world of difference. That's how to keep others back because that is the thing of losing that power. Helping someone get to that next point in their career is more powerful than trying to gatekeep it, so to speak. You need to realize change is inevitable. 
You're not going to be in the same position 25, 20 years from now. There's going to be someone coming after you. You're going, someone before you is going to be moving into the same place, whatever you are. I think it's important to realize the wheels always turning. But what are you doing? How are you contributing to your turning, you know, in a smooth manner, so to speak? I hope that I've made a positive impact in some of my colleagues' work life and work experiences because you always want to, people in Mumbai, you make them feel more than much, you know. <laughs> and, you know, I'm very fortunate that the team that I'm currently in is very, very supportive, very collaborative, and it makes a world of difference. I'm unsure about something. I have a psychological safety. I can reach out to my team member, I can reach out to my boss. I don't feel that they are going to prejudge me or treat me unfairly. So it, 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 that's my thoughts on that. Yeah, I mean, you, you touched on kindness, and I think we, we underestimate the power of kindness. You know, I think just to contextualize kindness as well, it's a life changing journey because I actually discovered a lot of self limitations that I have had about myself, almost speaking against the power of being credible to achieve something mm. or speaking against yourself or saying oh my god i don't deserve for example to have this opportunity or i don't deserve to be in this position what would you say to almost overlook you know we have a lot of diversity existing in the ancient levels but as we go up the way it's still a very question mark landscape we always are and wonder where is the talent, where is the diversity. <laughs> <laughs> but we're all there by the floor, <laughs> but nothing. <laughs> What's happening? <laughs> uh, so, what would you say would be like, how do we leverage kindness out of that context? How do we learn from kindness to be kind leaders, to be kind empathetic colleagues who have a sincerity of understanding, of listening to understand? We have the sincerity to dispel and break away from the cycles of self talk and self subtraction. I think it's really interesting, Vanina, because I feel most of the time we are our own worst enemies, you know, whether it's um, we're scared of something that I know, we're scared of going for a certain opportunity, you know, that imposter that I was that I mentioned earlier. And as well as, you know, the fear of being outside of your comfort zone. And all of these Things. I mean, it can be something as small as just applying for a new role at work, to something, to trying a new hobby. You know, we often, it just insulting you holding yourself back from your full potential. And I think people need to realize if you are entering the workplace, I was really naive when I started work, you know, I came with that university mindset where, you know, when you're studying, you just, if you if you put in the hours, you do your assignments, you attend class, the results are going to speak for themselves, you know? The meritocratic. Exactly. Yeah. And then I mean I approach to work with a same mindset, you know, I'm going to work hard, I'm going to do what I need to do and you know it's going to happen for me. But the reality is that's not really how it works. You can be the best performer, but if you are not really putting yourself out there, if you're not making connections, because that's really what makes what can make an impact? What questions are you asking? What have you arrived in the meeting? You know, there's a yeah. thing that says, um, you know, you never arrive in the meeting up until you speak. Yeah. You know? Um <laughs> No, but it's true. But it is true because but people true. already remember the first talk. Yes. They're the ones who are there. <laughs> exactly. It's, 
you're gonna get a like a participating trophy. Yeah. But you're going to, you know, how are you contributing? How are you filling up? Mm-hmm. Um, and I think for someone like myself, I was not even that. So I looked at myself. What did I need to change? I'm not a very outgoing. Who cares what they think? Five, ten years down the line, it's nothing to me because people don't think of you as often as you think they do. (laughs) (laughs) No one. And I mean, I'm not going to sleep at night thinking, how can I get funding to that next woman's career? No one. So you don't have to be accountable for yourself and you drive your own change. There we go. You have your own agency. Mm-hmm. I think that's what I also learned, not just in this work, but also in the advocacy of advocating the needs, mm-hmm. communicating, as you say, the agency to, to empower yourself before someone else can empower you. Because yeah. it doesn't matter, as you say, it doesn't matter, you can do, do someone EAP programs and you can give someone a lot of costless mm-hmm. um, opportunity, almost like endless opportunity. Like, no, you can do this free course, you can do that, you can do that to improve, or do this coaching. Or sponsorships, but if you don't see yourself in the position of success, mm-hmm. you won't be successful. Yeah. You know, and that that image of that self is quite important and that timeless journey was quite revealing as well. Slowly to code switching, I think you already mentioned roles. I think there's there's almost like a almost like a twin mm-hmm. twin style of that. You know, yeah. Code switching in certain situations to, you know, most introverts do it, you know, because you have to step out of your shell of be comfortable with clients, you know. I mean, I know, I know. I'm also easily an introvert. I just get so comfortable with my silence, mm. and just like you know, I'll speak when I need to speak. <laughs> <laughs> but how do you learn to be assertive in knowing that your voice is enough in the room, that the seat at the table is enough? You don't have to break it one. Mm-hmm. You don't have to. You can invite yourself to go at the table. Yeah. You don't have to wait for an invitation. You can just stand up and say, "Hey." I want to pitch an idea to the business. 
and this is why I think the talent switch should look like. I think that's what we did as a group. Mm. You know, we were <laughs> <laughs> quite forward. Yeah, we were very forward. But we actually took the lot in those six months. Yeah, because I remember like Christmas later, a lot of things changed and we were like so surprised by ourselves. We're like, okay, what's next? Exactly. <laughs> yeah. Wow. But that just shows, John, mm. if you if you have an idea, mm. doesn't matter how big or small, if you believe in it mm. and if you can sell that idea. Then the world is your oyster, so to speak. And I know it sounds so much like a cliche, but there's a reason why people say things like that. Mm. Because it's kind of proven, so to speak. And you mentioned code switching, and I am guilty of that. I have a very colloquial, informal way of speaking. So when I'm in a professional setting, I have different levels of code switching where um, I, I pretty much still be myself if, like, in our morning team catch up. But if it's a more, you know, formal meeting scenario, I do clean it up a bit. <laughs> I do clean it up a bit. But I don't see code switching as something as a negative thing mm. or I, I see it as, as a skill set and for for people like us and that's not right, that's not at the top of the food chain, so to speak. It is a survival skill. Mm. And it's something I don't think it's something to look at negatively. Yeah. It's just the realities of life, you know. We are, you are never the same in every single yeah, environment. So whether you're conscious of it or not, in your personal life, you do code, code switch. Yeah. I mean, you, I mean, for example, all of the time you code switch because mm. you have to think about your safety, you have to think about your livelihood, you have to think about your life. Mm. You know, am I gonna am I gonna walk down the street and come out alive, <laughs> or do I just change how I walk? <laughs> You know, it's just such smart minded things that we don't, we almost undermine as people. Yeah. Okay, now there's a herd of people there. How do I get out of something without thinking of trauma being happening to me? And such thoughts are reflections of systematic mm-hmm. ways of how these systems have been structured to not allow difference to mm-hmm. subject. Yeah. And, you know, now that brings me to this almost revolving question of, you know, how do we drive ourselves and the allies and the people that need to be brought into that? Mm-hmm. Because then most of the time in our work, you realize that you advocate for inclusion and it's people think included. Mm-hmm. You know, the people think that if I have to be put in your know, as a leader, that means I have to subtract someone's chain. You know, what do you think about that? Um, because there's two sides of Mm-hmm. But I think that's where the fear of these dangerous talks come from. It's like, if we are, because that's how they are used mm-hmm. to progress, you know, they are used to a progress that is subtractive, that is extractionary, yeah. you know, that's a vacuum up and you just leave nothing behind. <laughs> <laughs> so, how do you relate in that context of bridging that gap of like not just code switching, but also the subtraction dilemma? Mm-hmm. Well, I think a lot of it depends on how you look at it. Yeah. I mean, in any situation in life, wherever there's going to be a winner, it means that there's going to be have to be a loser as well. And the thing with DI, and I think that's also why a lot of people are fearful of it, is because they have that viewpoint of it. We try to take something away from one group to give to another. That's not my interpretation yeah. or um, reality or viewpoint of DI. DI for me is realizing that certain groups have an advantage. They have a different starting point towards other groups. So DI is about leveling that field for everyone and making the 
scope of opportunities available to everyone and not just a certain demographic. So I think a way to, to bridge that gap is, and I think obviously it comes from the top, but it's not at the bottom, you know, when you when you have, let's say, your, your new graduate training, when it comes down for promotion, do it a fair and in a fairly sustainable way, you know, by recognizing those that are performing and making a positive impact, not just because of how you perceive someone who's beautiful just based on their appearance or what you think they are about. And, um, and it's easy to say these things, easy to say these things, but I think for everyone who understands and realizes why DI is important, why equity, why fairness is important, once you get into that role, into that position, don't forget that. Yeah. Because you're going to be in an unfortunate position of power where you can make a positive impact mm-hmm. down the line. So I think it's, it's difficult changing people's existing mindsets. It's not easy, but I think it can be easy for you once you are in that in that position. How are you going to use that? How are you, you know, going to leave that role for, for the next person? Because mm-hmm. life. <laughs> It's changing and say in their life is just a changing mm-hmm. cycle of movement. Um, so what are your predictions for this year? I mean, we are starting now in 2024. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of zero change. You know, it's just going to write a program in the elections are almost like just upcoming. What are your almost go-to points at the industry as well as we know DI mm-hmm. is rapidly growing, AI is coming to the fore. Um, more prominently across not just our industry as well, but mm-hmm. so many industries have absorbed and are reacting to that reality. Jobs are shifting, you know, um, a lot of anxieties around that. What are your almost like top five look forward to um, things that you are hoping that they still stick by in this, not just in this mm-hmm. but also in your life? That you believe that they are so crucial and so omnipresent, I'd say, I think they are omnipresent of success mm-hmm. um, that we shouldn't let go of. I think what stands out to me is just people's resilience in not just oh, making it through, you know, difficult time that times that we are in, you know, everything that's going on in the world, but resilience in the sense that what regardless of what happens today. Life goes on, but you have such resilience in a sense that you're not going to let whatever negativity that's going on in the world negatively impact or influence how you're going to live your life. So I think what I'm looking forward to, or I don't want to say looking forward to something that I've been enjoying and really enjoying seeing is just how um, technology has allowed us to learn more about other people's experiences and how technology just, just provides us with this platform to just find find people that care as much as you do about about the same things, right? And I think we're at that point where people aren't scared to voice their opinions in the sense that this isn't right. Just because this has been going on or we've been doing things a certain way for decades doesn't mean it's the right way. I think that's really, that's what excites me. It's, it's that people are more, more open to having these uncomfortable discussions and, you know, touching on these topics and creating, creating awareness. Like for example, the, the, this idea is you know what I mean? Like thinking back of 
imagine how impactful something like this would have been for me as being in high school or, or being at university. Because, you know, back then, things weren't as progressive or as easily accessible as they are today. So I think that, that's, that excites me mm-hmm. about the future. And you mentioned AI, that technology is very, very exciting. But in the one hand, it also just proves how much work we have to do. For example, you know, I've heard like my horror stories by asking AI to oh, create a picture of um, someone, you know? And, uh, and also, and, and still, you know, also still the, the discrimination within AI itself. You know, devices uh, are coded into that. Exactly. In the one, you know, on the one hand, we're making so many wonderful changes in the world. You know, advancements in you know technology, the kind of stuff that we are having, what's acceptable now versus what was acceptable 20, 20 years ago. But on the same hand, it's still kind of weird that still that same struggle. It's not something that that we're going to solve immediately overnight or easily, but it's an ongoing issue. And I feel it's a song that you are passionate about. For example, you're talking about the It's something that goes only in my those my personal and my professional lives. So whatever small impact we are making, I believe it's going to have a domino effect. Yeah. I think I was I was also listening to a snippet of a podcast from a different podcaster and they the guest was talking about how positivity is quite what use this word um infectious. Mm. Uh, and also how also negativity is also infectious, you know, how aligning yourself with people who are also in the same mind or similar not same mind, but similar mindset mm-hmm. that are trying to grow, how that actually has a profound impact on you. And how would you really have a lived experience mm-hmm. of enriching, a life experience that is positivity. How do you begin transiting towards that as someone? If you are willing to take that step, yeah. you have to realize you're going to learn and discover some things about yourself. That's uncomfortable. That's uncomfortable, that you're not going to be proud of, you're not going to lie. And that a lot of people get to that point, but then it's like, okay, no, 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 I don't like it. <laughs> yeah. But, I mean... Definitely, you have to start by like, continuing to push through and go through because you're going to realize that it's almost like unlocking a new a new world for yourself. And I say that as someone who has done it himself. Um, what was your journey like on that? I think for me, a big part was I started my tertiary education at Salamos University, and I completed my studies at the University of the Western Cape, where I obtained my master's degree in public administration. But I mentioned that because it was almost a repeat of a previous experience earlier on in my life where I went from a very, very white, very Afrikaans kind of institution background to a more English predominantly colored environment where I'm originally from the Northern Cape, small town called Kings Uppington in, in the Northern Cape. Um, and I moved to Cape Town with my family when I was 12. And I mentioned that because that was a really profound experience for me. At the time, you don't have the you don't have the knowledge or the land to understand or experience what you are experiencing or feeling. But you know, looking back, I have that understand now. So what happened with me in my my formative years, being in a very you know 
Billy Whitey Afrikaans schooling environment. You were just made away that where you were basically down in the, in the hierarchy um, and you knew what was clearly what was up. Then starting grade six in Cape Town, being trusted, but I mean, it was the closest school to where we stayed at the time. It was an English medium school. So I had this experience where I went from, you know, very Afrikaans, very white to very English and predominantly um, colored, colored pupils, and then I had colored teachers for the first time. How did that feel? It was, yeah. like, it was, it was just like, was it a culture shock? Or it was, it was very much a culture shock for me. And I can tell you because I remember this, I'll never forget this white boy approached me at school and he basically told me that he has a crush on my team and he was trying to get me to put in a good word for him. And I remember looking at this boy and thinking, does he not know that she's scared? <laughs> it was such a... Yeah. I couldn't connect to that and the sort but, because yeah. where I came from it was just it's a boo you don't yeah. think about that mm. um, so that was just significant for me where I realised wow things can actually be different in the world and then seeing actual teachers teaching me that that style that looks like me it was empowering that's how it felt and, but I mean as a, as a 12 year old at that time you don't have the you don't have the vocabulary or the understanding to really grasp what what you are thinking or, or feeling and that, that sense and then you know I was just going from where we would have award evenings back in Africa but you know I was never included the only part of that and then it was such a, a shock for me when we moved to Cape Town because I remember it was towards the end of the year, we were lining up for our school assembly and I remember a girl saying, oh, I can do more than I get from the, um, the award from that. And this boy, I'll never forget this. Huh? <laughs> <laughs> he basically, no, she's only, she's only craving Afrikaans because me being Afrikaans speaking. And I just thought, okay, that's, that's kind of a weird thing to say. But I, I really understood how I was being perceived, you know, speaking with a bit of an accent, pronouncing words wrong. People think, oh, you're a bit silly or what is, you know. What happened was, for the first time in my life, I received, I received a recognition for my potential because I ended up being first in my class. I, I did get the awards for three class, but I also did get the math award. Congratulations. So, I mean, for years ago, you know, it's not a big deal, but to yeah. me, it showed, it, it showed me that what I used to think and feel about myself while I was going to school in Uppington show, I would like about myself. Mm-hmm. You know, I was You're like, capable. I am capable. So, that, those two moments were, were really significant for me. I was 12 years old and I made a lasting impact on my life. And I kind of experienced something similar again when I made that move from Samosh to GWC, where beautiful university, a lot of opportunities, but then GWC is a bit less fortunate in that, in that, in that case, but in terms of resources. And I got to interact and have discussions with people I don't think I necessarily would have had if I continued at Islamwash. And I say that because I think it's also to do with the discipline that I was that I was studying, public administration, you have to touch on these social topics, you have to have these uncomfortable conversations already from from your tertiary education. So that changed my whole viewpoint and outlook. Um and I think that's also why I feel so passionate about DEI because I could 
I could see the differences in opportunities and resources between the two establishments in a, in a sense that it's disheartening in one, in one side, but then when you look at the, how hard people work mm-hmm. and then their backgrounds, you take their backgrounds into consideration. I don't see how that how that's not how that doesn't motivate you to just start to do something, whatever it is. It's, I'm not saying you should all strive to be that top CEO billionaire, you know. Your dream can be I don't be a small, but just try and do something. And if you're going to do something, try and make a positive change. Um, if anything, be kind and be kind to yourself first. Yeah, it's so easy to. Uh, it's so easy to believe the bad things. Easy to even list the reason why you don't need something, mm-hmm. why you can't be something. It's easy to just say, oh my gosh, I can't live, I don't know, I can't go to care, to, to care mm-hmm. for example, I can't win that award. So easy to, to, to subtract yourself away from that opportunity. The list can grow as yeah. many as the excuses grow, because we always can come up with excuses at the end of the day. Exactly. Like my mother installed both of these huge installations for me. I think that's why I'm so involved in the I mean, like the early nineties my my father was heavily involved in, you know, things in lobbying and you know, leading marches and like picking clothes, taught in Philly, like, you know, making an impact in your community. My mother has that same sense of, you know, Trying to impact, trying to make a positive impact, especially if you if you are in a position of um, power, exactly. Influence, yeah. And if you, I never get this, but it's my mother has this reasoning. If you never, then the answer is always going to be no. Mm-hmm. So if you never put yourself out there, if you never go for something, you won't know. You won't know, mm-hmm. right? So mm-hmm. now you're sitting, you're second guessing yourself. I don't wanna. I'm not gonna apply for that. I think no. But I haven't said no yet. I haven't said no, but you're still telling yourself <laughs> So I think nothing's be kind to yourself and try and be your own biggest cheerleader because yeah. I mean look at where you are now, my dear. Look at five years, five years ago. Different landscape, different you time. See, and that's what being in an inspiration is all about making positive impact, um, not in just your own life, but in other people's lives. Thank you for this and for the work that you're doing. It's amazing. Yeah, like it's it's been a phenomenal journey, I won't lie. It's been it's been transformative because you know, you actually realize how much more you have to do. Mm-hmm. You know, and that challenges you to dream even bigger. I think I was telling my partner as well, like if you as I say, if your dream is not doesn't scare you, it's not big enough. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> so if something scares me, mm. I'm gonna have to go through it. Yeah. I'm gonna have to go through it now. Is, yeah. Look, yeah, and mm. I mean whether you know this isn't something I I would naturally do, but you it's, it's like you want to do it, but you're so scared that you choke yourself out of it and try and make yourself feel that no, I actually don't want. That's actually. Mm-hmm. I mean, at the end of the day, growth is quite uncomfortable. It's because you know, it, it's part of change. Mm-hmm. And you know, you only appreciate it when you're on the other side. You're like, I don't remember why I was scared. <laughs> yeah, goodness. It's like. <laughs> it is. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it just reminds me of, you know, when we started working together on, on DI initiatives. We were put into the deep end quite quickly, but. I feel that we were taken seriously very quickly and that's how we ended up, you know, having those discussions with the CEO of a company that prioritizing women's mindset. Exactly. Black mindset. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, 
people are definitely people of the previous say, you know, time is money. Yeah. And they took time out of these schedules to to contribute to making that positive change and to, to hear what we have to say. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. And to just influence in turn the the issues of the organization and making and making changes. I mean, we make tangible changes. It feels like we're blowing our own walls. It's that. That was something I think what was rewarding for me is that we could see the changes immediately. immediately. And what's significant for me is that people saw the changes that was happening and the impact that it was having, but they were still reluctant and scared to become a active part of it. Mm. And I think that was just maybe it's because uh, African Council is a long way to go. So yeah. I think maybe we were just a bit more fearless in that sense, really. Well we're already at the technological safety now for us to say mm. we have nothing to lose because this is what we, we are all passionate about. Yeah. You know, I mean I think all seven or eight of us, we were driven, we were mm. so dedicated to the results. We knew that if it made our quarter end work had to come first and then we had to switch on lights after for five additional mm-hmm. hours just to get those work done. We did that. We, we were not that. afraid of that work. We were not afraid to pick up the yeah. can and throw it in the bin instead of kicking it down the road. Yeah. You know, um so I think that initiative and also it helped to have aligned leadership, mm-hmm. you know, that leadership alignment was quite was quite powerful because as you say, not only were they dealing with a merger not only were they dealing with a lot of things on their calendar, <laughs> then it took the time to actually say, we want to embed this culture that we want to set the tone for. They were listening to us at such a level, I think, with other people being hesitant, I think they were still in a fear of lacking the psychological safety that we already had arrived at. You know, I mean, everyone's dream is different. You know, exactly. so yeah. I, I think that buy-in when when people start experiencing the mobility, that oh my gosh, I can actually go to a different team now, mm. and you now realize that oh, and the confidence now comes up. Like I'm not as stuck. You know, I don't feel stuck in my career by I'm just doing one thing every year. I'm never promoted. Mm. I never looked as someone who can inspire or who can contribute to results and be. And with a meaningful career, like now you see a lot of people who are like now agents of change themselves, mm-hmm. not just, I think we, we prioritize change in such do it at the organization level. Yeah. But change can be internal. You know, you can say, actually now, I just want to do is move from this post to the next post. And that's the biggest change you can mm-hmm. make because it positions you in a, in a different psychological safety than you were previously. Okay. You know, and that, that thing that trickled down so quickly, was just so phenomenal to see and thank you. I hardly think we didn't thank each other enough, but thank you so much for providing. <laughs> so yeah, like so looking forward now, mm-hmm. what are your personal goals that you are setting for this year hmm. that you want to achieve? Well, for this year, it's a bit of a personal one. Yeah, think, the ones that we need to share. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I'm going to share this one because I think it's applicable for me both mm. in my personal and professional life. Mm. And that is, you know, I realized we are so, we get so hurt to offended if someone takes a promise or doesn't keep their word to us, you know, or, you know, sometimes maybe your manager said, oh, if you KPIs look like this, you know, maybe you'll get something like that and it doesn't happen, you know. So we end up being so either hurt or disappointed or whatever the case may be. And I, this year I want to be more true to myself in the sense that 
if I make a promise to myself, mm-hmm. I want to hold myself accountable to that. And I want to, I don't want to break the promises I make to myself. You know, most <laughs> people watch Prison Anatomy. Oh, I love Prison Anatomy. I'm trying to, almost like every season, there was a moment where I didn't cry. <laughs> I, I watched um, Billy Early Days of Days and made it a says in a voiceover. She says, she says this one quote and it has stuck with me ever since and it's with our parents to defy, we break the rules, we make ourselves. Mm-hmm. And I think that's so that's so profound because it's true. And it's like something small to something big, you know, to oh, I'm gonna drink more water this week to Oh, I'm not gonna message you. You know what I mean? So it's yeah, yeah. I just wanna be more I wanna be Be more accountable to yourself. There we go. Yeah. That's that's Because yeah. I think it's yeah, it's, it's applicable in both personal and professional settings. So if I can stay true to myself in my personal life, it's Thank you so <laughs> much. Thank you so much. Thank you so much, Rina, for joining us and all the best. <laughs> Nothing is stopping you from rising. So thank you so much for having me as well in your space and thank you energy in your orbit <laughs> for today for a few seconds and anything that you want to take away from today I think for the day our work as a special kindness yeah kindness being kind to yourself being kind to others because a small gesture of kindness can make a world of difference for for someone or different situations so it's time